Thank you, ladies. If your Bibles are open to 1 Samuel chapter 21, we find in this text this morning that David is reacting to a problem in his life. We first met David as a youth in several chapters prior to this when he was but a shepherd boy and the prophet Samuel was sent to anoint him to be the next king of the nation of Israel. David, from that point on, went to serve King Saul. He served him well. The Bible says he behaved himself wisely in all his ways. At first, he started out being there to play the harp and to sing songs to calm the, the evil spirit that had settled upon King Saul. By the way, anytime we walk away from God, we are not going to find ourselves with a sweet spirit. And that's what happened to Saul. He had turned his back on God and found out that God wasn't there like he used to be for him. So David was used of God to help a wayward king. And David loved Saul and he was loyal to Saul. He went out to battle, killed the giant Goliath. And that day he helped the nation of Israel rally and defeat the Philistines in a remarkable victory. David rose in the ranks, became a, a captain in Saul's army, uh, well-respected in spite of his young age. Again, the Bible says more than once about him that he behaved himself wisely in all his ways. As David's popularity was on the rise, King Saul became jealous of him. Saul knew that God had lifted his hand of blessing from him and he was watching this young man and he saw that the hand of the Lord was on him. I think the wheels in Saul's mind began to turn and God had already told him that, that he was going to replace him with a man after God's own heart. And I think Saul figured it out. David might just well be that man. The Bible says he eyed David from that time forward. And Saul's jealousy grew and grew, and the more David achieved and the more popular David became, the more angry Saul became with David. Finally, Saul began to lash out at the one God had sent to help him. And in a public gathering, Saul threw his javelin at David and tried to, to murder him at a feast. David fled from his presence and stayed away from Saul for a time, and um, and in the course of time, David called uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, David's very best friend. And he said, I'm, I'm not sure what I've done. I don't know why your father hates me. I don't know why he wants me dead. And Jonathan said, my dad doesn't hate you. Surely that's not true. And David said, he's not telling you because you're his son. He knows we're good friends, but he wants to kill me. So they came up with a plan. Jonathan said, there's a feast and you're going to be required to be there. So here's what will happen. You don't show up and I'll just sit and watch my dad. If my father asked where you were. I'll say, well, he went to Bethlehem to be with his family for a, a gathering there. And if, if, if Saul's okay with that, then we'll know that, that really he's not that mad at you after all. But if he gets angry, we'll know that you're right. The feast came and the first day Saul said nothing. The second day of the feast, Saul said, where's David? Where, where is he? Why isn't he at my side? He's one of my captains. He should be here. And Jonathan gave him the rehearsed speech. And boy, uh, Saul just flew into a rage. He used language against his own son that would make anybody blush. He referred to his own wife in, in a most demeaning way. 
he belittled his son Jonathan and in his wrath he took the same javelin he planned to kill David with and threw it at his son Jonathan in front of the gathered guests and all of a sudden Jonathan realized David's right. My father was so consumed with jealousy and rage he wants David so badly to be dead that he's willing to even kill me in the process. So Jonathan went out to a prearranged meeting place and told David everything that happened and the two of them wept together and David realized his life had now changed. He was no longer captain in Saul's army. He was no longer there to comfort the king when that evil spirit would begin to trouble him. David began his wilderness wanderings and journeys. It wouldn't be long until David's family would be sent out of the country to live in the country of Moab, out of Saul's reach, lest Saul would go after them in order to get to David. And David now is in a problem that he never anticipated. It is not a problem that he caused. It is not something that he did something wrong, and here is the consequence of that. David has a problem, and in this chapter, we are watching David react to that problem. You and I cannot stop problems from coming upon us. We can try, but we will be unsuccessful. I've quoted many times that verse in Job that says, man's days are few and full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. We can try to avoid trouble. We can hope it's not coming our way, but, but it's going to come sooner or later. Sometimes the trouble is of our own making. There would be a time in David's life when he would once again find himself in, in perilous times, but it was his own fault. It was his own sin. It was his own compounding of that sin, and he had trouble to deal with. Sometimes that's the way it is with us. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death, death to relationships, death to testimonies. Sometimes it's physical death. It, it, it carries a high price. But sometimes troubles come like they did to Job. A man that feared God was called a perfect man, not sinless, but that means a spiritually mature man, a righteous man, and yet trouble came to him in ways that you and I can barely even comprehend, though we know his story and we've read it many times. Trouble's going to come. We cannot stop it. Here's what we choose, though. How do we react when trouble comes? What do we do? In the books of Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, we have the nation or the history of the nation of Israel from the time they left Egypt till just as they were poised to finally go into the promised land. It had been all told uh, from the time they left Egypt till the time they were going to go in uh, about 43 to 45 years total. During that time, if you study those four books of the Bible, Without a single exception, every time a problem came along, their first reaction was, God must hate us. Were there no graves in Egypt? Why don't we just stay there and we can be buried? Why did you bring us out here? We're hungry and there's no food. God wants to starve us. We're thirsty and there's no water. God wants us to die. Our kids are going to die. And that was their reaction, not once, not twice, but over and over and over and over again. It was so bad that at one point, Moses himself said, Lord, if this is the way it's going to be, can you just take me to heaven now? Uh, th this is uh, the reaction 
was always the worst. By the way, if you also study those same books, those people whose first reaction was anger at God, accusations against God, they lived aimless, pointless lives. They just wandered around in a giant circle. That didn't mean that God didn't care about them and God was still gracious and they had manna every morning and God always made sure they had water. Uh, they, they just had very little joy in their lives. Uh, they, they fell into sin uh, every time that they turned around and, and they never really went where God wanted them to go. The promised land was a dream that, that, it, that escaped them because they just never came to that place of trusting God no matter what. David's in one of those places. I want you to walk with me through this chapter briefly this morning as we see David reacting to his problem. The first thing I notice in chapter 21 and verse 1, David ran to the presence of God. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. In those days, the tabernacle was still set up. It wasn't as prevalent its use as it was in earlier days, but it was still there. A devout Jewish person knew where to go to where the tabernacle, that tent-like structure, that house of God was to be located. David's first response, I need God. David didn't sit down and say, well, I'm going to come up with a plan, and I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to do this, and, and so forth. David said, I just need God. He came to Ahimelech, the priest. In those days, the high priest especially was God's representative before man. He was a picture, according to Hebrews chapter 10, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And oftentimes when people had a burden and a need in their lives, it was not that they could not on their own talk to the Lord and pray to God, but they often went to the tabernacle, to the high priest, and asked him to beseech God on their behalf for an answer. David's being a wise man. He is running straightway to the presence of the Lord. It was David who said in Psalm 61 and verse 2, from the ends of the earth will I cry unto thee. When I am overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Sometimes life overwhelms us, does it not? Sometimes as we sang, when sorrows like sea billows roll, it, it's going to happen. David said, when that happens to me, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. It's the only way I can keep my head above water. David understood that. David understood that. Run to the presence of God. I don't know what it is, though. There's something about human nature. And the devil has a way of preying on our human nature, and problems come into our lives, and we tend to react far too often like the Israelites in the wilderness of Moses' day. And we get angry at God and we see God as our enemy and, and, and we, we're not sure if we can trust him and we run away from him. We close our Bibles and, and, and we don't pray. And sometimes we sit awake at night and we think through the situation and we relive the moment. We relive uh, the conflict or the confrontation or the problem that we're now dealing with. By the way, that is not prayer. Talking with ourselves is not prayer. Prayer is talking to God, taking it to him. 
And he's saying, Father, I have a need. Lord, I need you. In my distress, David said, I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. Prayer is not taking my problem to someone else. Though it doesn't hurt to get godly biblical counsel, that's not prayer. Prayer is going to God and saying, Father, I need you. And that's exactly what David did. He ran to the presence of God. I have a note in my journal from which I am preaching today. There's another man who found himself in a distressing situation, one that he did not like. His name was Jonah. God's will for Jonah did not run in accordance to Jonah's will for Jonah. Do you ever notice that happens sometimes? Now, I have a plan that I think is pretty good, and then God says, yeah, nice plan. We're going to scrap that and do mine instead. Well, God's will for Jonah was to go to the hated enemy of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian nation, and, and preach the gospel to them and, 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 and let them know God's going to judge them. And Jonah already knew the power of God, and he was terribly afraid that if those people repented, God would have mercy, and he didn't want God to have mercy on them. By the way, time out here. Isn't it sad that we want God's mercy on us? but we don't want God to show mercy to other people. Jonah was one of those. He testified to that later in Jonah chapter number four. What, did, what was Jonah's answer to his problem? The Bible says he ran from the presence of the Lord. He got on a ship to go to Tarshish, which was at the other end of the then known world, completely opposite direction from where Nineveh was. Can I remind you that running from the presence of God only caused Jonah to run into the presence of a storm from which he could not escape. When we're going through the trial and we're going through the problem, running to the presence of God, as did David, is the wisest and the safest route for a child of God. Take note of David. Remember, he's a man after God's own heart. He's not a perfect man. We'll even see it as this event unfolds in his life. But his first step was the right one. He ran to the presence of God. There's a second thing that happened. When David did so, he was reminded of past blessing. He went to Ahimelech the priest. David dissembled quite a bit and tried to play secret spy about why he was there. Uh, he only had a few uh, people with him at the time, and the priest was kind of wondering, and, and David played with the truth that was going to cost everybody dearly on that. But David had left in such haste, he had no weapons with him. And so he said to the priest, look in verse number 8, David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword for I have neither brought my sword nor my weapon with me because the king's business required haste he said do you happen to have a sword handy now I think in the back of David's mind he knew there was at least one there there was at least one now the tabernacle wasn't usually a place bristling with armor that's not what it was used for um, but David remembered long time ago it seemed like that to him when he finished the battle with Goliath and that, that, that war with the Philistines ended. He carried around the head of Goliath for a while because he was a teenager and something gross like that would seem kind of cool. 
but he also was carrying around, or maybe in my mind I'm thinking dragging around, the sword of Goliath. David was just a youth. Goliath was a man nine and a half feet tall. Estimates of the length of his sword uh, are somewhere between eight and nine feet long for his sword. So here's this little kid dragging this giant sword around. David, in honor of the victory that God had wrought that day, wrapped the sword up, brought it to the tabernacle and had it dedicated in the house of God saying, God did this. And, and this trophy belongs to God. So here's David now. He said, I, I, I have no weapon. I, I left in such a hurry. Do you have anything here? And Himelech said, well, there's one here. There's one here, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah. And here comes Ahimelech out from the back room and unwraps that massive weapon. And David holds in his hand the sword of the man who said, I defy the armies of Israel. I defy the God of Israel. And looked at David and said, I'm going to feed you to the birds. But God turned that around in a victory. And David is reminded of the past blessings of God. You know, when we run to God's presence... Even before God sends an answer, oftentimes the Holy Spirit of God will prick our, our memory and say, hey, do you remember when you had this problem and you prayed about it and God brought the answer through? God's doing all of that. The songwriter put it this way, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. In 1991, the Lord called my family and I to go to Jeanette, Pennsylvania to start a church. My first year there, I worked full-time in uh, the Otis Spunkmeyer cookie dough factory. My second year, I got a job teaching full-time at Mount Carmel Christian Academy in Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania. I made a whopping $9,300 a year uh, teaching full-time in a Christian school, but it allowed me to have my, my afternoons and evenings to go soul winning and work on pastoring a church. And uh, so I, I did that for the uh, the first year, and at the end of that first year of teaching, I injured my back. Um, what I actually did, Anna was a toddler at the time, I actually picked her up, uh, and somehow when I went like this, I twisted wrong, and, and I pinched a nerve uh, in my lower back, and I, I could barely walk, I could not straighten up. Uh, I was like the hunchback of Notre Jeanette. I mean, that, that was me. It was, it was agony. Well, I knew once school was out, I was going to need a job to provide for my family. The cookie factory there had told me uh, that uh, as soon as school was out, come back. My job was there for the summer. That was my plan, but physically I was able to do it because it, it involved a lot of heavy lifting no matter what job I had on that assembly line process. I wasn't able to do it. I got several other jobs. I went in and interviewed. All of them required a lot of labor that it wasn't that I was lazy. It wasn't that I was making excuses. I was physically unable to do so. And so for that entire summer, I just pastored a church. Our church was running maybe 35, 40 people, something like that. God was good to us. We always operated in the black, but there just wasn't a whole lot of money. So I drew no salary or anything like that from the church. But somehow that summer, our rent was always paid. The car payment was always made. The insurance was always made. Um, we actually went to two amusement parks and took one vacation. 
And, and to be honest, I have no idea where it all came from. It's just every time there was a bill, there was money in the bank to do it. I felt like uh, that widow in Elijah's day that the cruise of oil never failed and there was always flour in the bottom of the barrel. Tim, do you remember any of that summer? And uh, we made it through. School started in, in September, and I went back to teaching, and now all of a sudden I've got a, an income. It wasn't a big one, but it was sufficient, and we were thankful for it. Well, that, that uh, fall... Uh, late in the fall, we had a speaker at our church. His name was Ron Garris, Dr. Ron Garris. Brother Buddy, do you know who that is? He's the founder of the Rock of Ages prison ministry. He was from Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, he was an older gentleman, and he was preaching in a nearby church for uh, a week of meetings, and the pastor there said, would you like to have him at your church on Sunday morning? Because uh, our meetings don't start till Sunday night. He said, Sure. So I drove down early one Sunday morning to pick up Brother Garris. And I was, I'm kind of nervous. I'm, I'm a young preacher in my early 30s. He's at least twice my age um, and so forth. And it just he and I were traveling along and, and getting to know each other a little bit. And he's asking me about the church and, and so on and so forth. And, and I just trying to tell him how good God had been. And I, I talked to him about what had happened the previous summer and how God provided for our family and so forth. And I'm just trying to give God the glory that he deserves. And Brother Garris was pretty quiet on all of that. And I, I got done sharing that little bit of a testimony, and there was this pause. Brother Garris didn't say a lot, but when he said something, it meant a lot. And there was this little pause, and finally in this, this deep southern drawl, Brother Garris asked me a question. He said, preacher... Do you think if God could take care of you for three months, that he could do it for the other nine? Don't you hate questions like that? So immediately, hey, look at that cloud. It looks like a duck. You know, I'm trying to change the subject. Way too convicting, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taking that in. It's like, Brother Garris, that was not the point of my story. But I could not shake that question. And so we had a great service that day with him. And, and later on that day, I was, I was talking to Trina and I told him uh, about that. And she said, okay, that's just spooky. I said, yeah, it is. I said, I don't think God deals in spooky. I, I think we just, but we couldn't get away from it. And the, the more we thought about it and prayed about it, I, I, I just realized God's asking us to take a step of faith. I was under contract with that school uh, until school was out the first week of June of that year. And I remember, um, I think it was uh, January, February that, that year, we knew what God wanted us to do. And uh, so I stood up before our church and I said, uh, I told them about the conversation and I said, come June, whether the church can pay me or not, you're going to have a full-time pastor and that's all I'm going to do from this point on. And they all started clapping and cheering. I thought, yeah, that's because you all have jobs with incomes. And there was, there was like... Uh, $9 a week above budget left over so that if we were to get a salary, it would be $9 a week. But we made the decision, and you know when you take the step of faith, there's always that element of fear at first, but once you take it, there's that peace that passes understanding. From that point on, we prayed about it, but we never worried about it. And when June of that year came along, God had increased the church numerically. God had increased the offerings to where the church voted to give me a salary of $150 a week. Now, I know in Connecticut, that'll buy you one and a half tanks of gas. Understand that. It was 30 plus years ago. It was a different place and so forth. But my whole point from that conversation with Brother Garris is, son, do you remember what God did for you last summer? 
don't you think the same God could take care of you from this point on? David ran to the presence of God, and while he was there, he was reminded of what God did that day on the battlefield with Goliath. It's as if God was saying, David, you realize I'm, I'm still God. I'm not the great I was. I am the great I am. Do you understand, David, that the God who took care of you on the battlefield against Goliath can take care of you against King Saul? I've anointed you. I have a plan for my life. I always keep my word. I always keep my promises. Look at the sword. Look at what I did. And David got that. And if you'll take the time and count your blessings, you'd be amazed at what that will do for the level of your faith and the power of your God for the next battle and for the next problem. So David ran to the presence of God. He's reminded of past blessing. And then David did an odd thing. Verse number 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. He's, he's been at the tabernacle. He ran to the presence of God as he, as he should have. He, he's got the sword of Goliath now. He's got that tangible reminder of the power and the, and, and the goodness of his God. And all of a sudden, David does a, turn, a, a turnabout. The Bible says he arose and fled. He's, he's not going back to do the will of God. The Bible says for fear of Saul. Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, he said, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Please understand something. Every time we are called upon to take the next step of faith, fear is going to be right there with us. And we're going to have to decide faith or fear. They do not coexist. They cannot dwell together because God does not give us the spirit of fear. About eight weeks ago, I competed in my first ever power lifting competition. I haven't told you a gym story in a while. Um, it was, it was going to be an event that I had never planned on doing. Um, and it was, it was uh, somewhat of a nerve-wracking thing. I'm a part of the U.S. Powerlifting Association. There's some 200,000 members of that organization. There are less than two dozen uh, adaptive athletes. That's what they, they call guys like me. The adaptive athlete means incredibly handsome. That's all it means. There are less than two dozen. Um, I've, I've been working with Sam, my trainer, for a lot of uh, years now, but I'd never lifted anything in front of a crowd of people. While at the gym, sometimes there were people walking around, but seldom ever was anybody watching. It was just me and Sam, and I was okay. But suddenly that day, uh, there, were, there were some 39 or 40 other men that were lifting. I was the oldest in the group at 65. The next youngest was 46. Um, I was the only adaptive athlete, and then there was an audience out there, probably of another 50 or 60 or more people. There were the judges there, and then the whole thing was live-streamed all over the country. As I stood in the wings, Tim was there with me. Sam was on the other side by the judges' table, uh, and so forth. And I'm standing there, and they're, they're moving closer and closer to when my name would be called, and they would say, the bar is ready for Thomas. I was standing there. 
Uh, my butterflies were not flying in formation. They killed themselves. They were a mess. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember the last time I had been absolutely that nervous. Uh, but all of a sudden, I, I heard Gino, the, the MC for the day, saying, the bar is ready for Thomas. And most people there didn't know who I was. They hadn't seen me yet. And I had to make that walk from behind the curtain out to the staging area. And all of a sudden, they see the prosthetic leg. Uh, they see the little old man and all that. And I'm standing there, and I've got to do my first squat in front of people. It was going to be a heavy lift. Uh, we don't do practice stuff. You get, you get a bar and they put as much weight as you can for the first lift and you go for it. I had no idea if my knee was going to cooperate. There's times when I, I get ready to go down in a squat and the knee is not sure what I'm doing and it thinks it's helping me out and the microprocessor will lock my knee in place and I'm just standing here like this and, and my knee won't bend. I had no idea if that was going to happen or if I was going to start going down and the microprocessor would give out and that knee would collapse, in which case I'd, I'd top over to this side and I'm thinking I'm going to be doing that in front of all these, these younger guys that can lift hundreds and hundreds of pounds in front of this, this crowd of people and who knows watching on, who's watching on the live stream and all that and I'm just going to tell you right now it was an overwhelming fear it was an overwhelming fear how many have ever felt that about something in life sometimes the step of faith terrifies us doesn't it sometimes it does sometimes the problem or the giant we're facing is so big that we just don't see any other way. And like David, we now want to flee. The man who started off so well running to the presence of God is now running away from that. If God had told him to go where he was going to go, that, that's one thing. But it wasn't done by faith. It was done in fear. And of all the places for him to go, the Bible says he went to Achish, the king of Gath. Anybody know who grew up in Gath? Goliath. He's running to Goliath's hometown and he's dragging Goliath's sword, the one that he used to hack off Goliath's head. Rebellion makes people stupid. So does fear. So does fear. So here comes David letting fear control him and he comes into town and he's got Goliath's sword. By the way, Goliath's sword would have been a pretty famous thing. He was called the champion of the Philistines. Everything about his armor was legendary. This was sort of like Excalibur from the legends of King Arthur, this sword of Goliath. And here comes David in, the one who they sang the songs, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. He's running right into the arms of the enemy. You know, every time we run from God, we just run into bigger problems. I talked about Jonah just a little bit ago. And don't say you've never done it because we all struggle with that and we let fear overtake us. Well, David got there and Achish's servants saw him and they said, this is a trap. David is just here trying to get the lay of the land and so forth. And, and it finally dawned on David, boy, am I an idiot. I've looked at myself in the mirror and said, boy, Tim's an idiot. I mean, I'm an idiot. I, I should never have done it. I should not be here. And David realized that. And the Bible says he had to pretend that he was insane. He started drooling on himself. 
Uh, he started scratching at the door like an animal, like he was insane, hoping that they would all see him as some crazy guy and they'd throw him out. And that's exactly what they did and, and, and so forth. And David's response of fear was a total disaster. To David's credit, though, he responded to the preacher. Chapter 22, he escaped from there, and he didn't go back home yet. He went to a cave uh, of Adullam. His, his brethren, his father's house, came down, and pretty soon he sent them away in verse number 3. But look at verse 5 of chapter 22. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. We're not sure who Gad was. We're not sure where he came from. We don't know if Gad was traveling with David. We don't know if Gad was sent by God to wherever David was with a particular message. We don't know if Gad might have traveled there with David's family from Bethlehem. We have no idea where he came from, but he came with a message from God. The prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart. Get thee into the land of Judah. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on us when we sometimes give up on him? Aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on us when we mess up on him? The Bible says in Psalm, David wrote about it in Psalm 103, for he remembereth that we are dust. What a great God we serve. It was Jeremiah after the destruction of Jerusalem in, in the book of Lamentations who said, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. We're still here today because he's a merciful God. Great is thy faithfulness, thy compassions, they're new every morning. What an amazing, wonderful God that we serve. And David is just beginning his journeys with God. He's got a lot of years of running ahead of him. And then he's got a kingdom to run that he'll rule and reign over for some 40 years. Uh, from the time he was 30 to the time he was 70. And David is just starting to learn these lessons that every one of us has to learn on our journey. The problems are going to come. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 18, it is impossible, but that offenses should come going to happen. I don't care how old you are. don't care who you are. don't care how much you love God or how much you may not. Trials and problems are going to come. The Savior was said in Luke 18, 3, but take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. Don't, don't let the flesh take over. Oftentimes when someone wrongs us, we're taking heed to them nonstop. And the Savior said, no, you just take heed to yourself. Don't you let this change you. Don't you let this drag you down. So David learned the lesson and he responds to the preacher. I have written in my notes, when all else fails, read the instructions. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In most of thy ways, acknowledge him. Right? No. What is it? In all thy ways. Acknowledge him. That means, Lord, is this what you want me to do? How do I know what God wants me to do? Oh, he left me an instruction book. He left the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of me. And by the way, the Holy Spirit will never countermand the 
instructions in the Word of God because He's the author of this book. You understand we serve a good God. Just follow the instructions. And to David's credit, that's exactly what he did. Chapter 22 and verse 5. One more time. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. That's in the southernmost part of the tribe of Judah. David's homeland. David obeyed what God told him to do. And that is the safest place you and I will ever be. The moment though I let fear take over, I'm in trouble. The moment I let flesh take over and I respond in, in anger, I, I, I respond in bitterness, I, I respond in rebellion against the word of God, I'm in huge trouble and I'm sailing the course of a Jonah and I'm going to find myself in the biggest storm that I've ever had and realize, you know, the best thing for me to have done was to follow God in the first place. It's always the safe place. As we think about David today, I'm reminded, can I get you to turn to Psalm 55? Psalm 55. Look at verse 1. This is a psalm of David, it says. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me. The terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. For then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. It's almost like David's uh, giving testimony to what happened in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22, isn't it? I thought if I just run away from my problem, I'll be okay. But that's not how it happens. Verse 16, David in this text is coming upon a realization. As for me, I will call upon God. And this is a wonderful statement, and the Lord shall save me. Do you believe that? Do you believe the Lord will save you? Do you believe the Lord will take care of you? Do you believe the Lord will solve your problem? Do you believe the Lord will meet that need? The Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon while I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. And then verse 22. Here's David's encouragement to you and I. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Nearly 33 years ago, we lived in upstate New York, and Trina was pregnant with Anna. She was having a difficult time of it. She was in and out of the hospital, constantly dehydrated, the sickness, they just couldn't get it under control. The insurance companies were actually working contrary to doctor's orders, and for a little while, we weren't sure if, we weren't sure that we were not going to lose both Trina and the baby difficult days. Tim and Sarah 
were just little at the time. And um, I think Tim was five and Sarah was about two. And we were going through the trial. One Sunday morning, we had a prayer meeting at our church uh, on Sunday mornings around 6 o'clock or so, 6.30 maybe. And I remember going there, and usually we paired up in the auditorium, and we would just pray about the day and praying for God's blessing. But I was just, I just overwhelmed. I was going to lose my wife and maybe this baby, and then what do I do? I've got two little ones, and never been there. I was, I was in my 20s. I was a young guy. And it was one of the biggest, hardest moments of my life. And I didn't feel like praying with anybody else that day. And so I went about five rows back on a pew and I just had my Bible open and it just happened to be open to Psalm 55. I think I felt like Hannah that day where my lips moved but no words came out. A lot of tears were dropping on the pages of my Bible. Just begging God for my wife, begging God for our baby. We didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, just begging God. Begging God for wisdom and strength. We knew we needed a miracle. And as I prayed that, that morning and I could hear other men's voices praying around me, I remember opening my eyes and I saw verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And I just looked at it. You know, God speaks through his word. And I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that that, way, that day God chose that verse to speak to my hurting heart and said, I'm still God. Trust me with this. And at that exact moment, a melody came into my heart. We sing it here. We're going to do it again in just a few moments. And a scripture song has been with me ever since that time, 33 years. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. It's David who penned those words. David learned it in the, that, that early part of the journey. Yes, he ran to God and he was reminded of, of God's blessings, but then like humans do, he relied on himself and he ran from, from God in fear. But God was merciful and God sent a preacher his way and said, that's not the path. You need to turn around. You need to go back. And David listened to that and he returned and he found out that God always keeps his word. I do not know who needs to hear this message today. But I'm, I'm positive I am not the only one. I'm not the only one. And if you don't need it right now, you just mark it down, you will. How many today know for sure you're going to go to heaven someday? You've come to that place of receiving the gospel message. You've trusted Christ as Savior. How many have that settled? Wonderful. That's the most important step of faith, the first step of faith we take. So how are we doing with the rest of the journey? Can we pray together? Father in heaven, thank you for David's.